I don't know that I could open scripture and preach any more of a sermon than what we just sang. Um, you'll see that as we end this morning, uh, I, I actually pulled those lyrics up because they're perfectly apropos for the ending of the sermon. So uh, thank you, Ryan, and all for uh, guiding our, our worship and the choices and the lyrics that direct our thinking <clears throat> where it belongs. So thanks much. So I want to take care of a couple of kind of just uh, items. First off, and it's my fault, the, the bulletin lists Matthew 24 as today's sermon. If you are hoping for that, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, but uh, John David will be back in Matthew 24 in a week. Um, but uh, so, so that's, a, that's a mistype. We actually, not only the song, but we heard a sermon in, in, in Grady's Call to Worship on Thanksgiving. We, we got one from Ryan's personal history. Uh, so I get to dismiss us and say goodbye. No. no. Uh, so I had one other just housekeeping item I wanted to mention. Grady mentioned during announcements our uh, church social directory, which is our church base locked out from everybody else. So you, you would get, if you signed up with it, gave us your picture, you'd be on there. You'd have access to everyone else's contact info, address, and all. Um, and you'd have a passcode to go in, your own personal password. There's a second stage of communication that we also have. We maintain a church-wide email directory. You don't have to be on the church social site to be on the email directory. And the email directory is everyone in, the, everyone in church social is on the directory, but there's a lot of other people on the directory who just want to be kept abreast of various events and things. If you're a regular attender or you want, uh, it's, it's not a ridiculous number of emails that you'll get, any of the events and updates. Some unique prayer requests go out on that email. Uh, some of the various uh, potluck signups and things like that. But if you'd like to be on that, that's different than church social, just so you know. It's, sometimes that can be confusing. So just see, see me if you want to be on just the church-wide directory. Uh, or either one of them, or Grady, we can direct you how to get on, on any of those. But we want to be as accessible as you want to be and, uh, and yet provide security for those of you that have that concern as well. So, so Matthew 24 is where we've been, and we will continue in chapter 24. We, are, we just completed week, get this, 131 in the book of Matthew. We began March 1st, 2020. Now, we did take a few sabbaticals and broke out of Matthew, both summer of 21 and 22, I think. We studied Jonah for several weeks, one. Before that, we studied Haggai. We've had a few other uh, jumps out of Matthew. Um, I share that because it's worth noting, we don't say it much unless you read our practice, you don't maybe even read it. We are committed from the pulpit to teach God's Word, and we do it expositorily, and that's 
gained great notoriety in these days, and it's kind of taken on a meaning all its own a little bit. All it means is we want to explain clearly a passage of Scripture. That's, that's all expository really means. Now, we've chosen as a format to predominantly do that verse by verse through a passage, through a book, uh, through a chapter, and that's good. We have chosen to do that for a number of reasons. It forces us to deal with the whole counsel of God. We can't just pick and choose the topics we really love, things like that. There's some other reasons. So mostly we do verse by verse, but that's not to say that topical preaching is wrong, bad, or anything like that. But if we're going to do topical preaching, we want it to be focused on what does the Bible, what does God say about this topic? Not what does man say, but what can I draw from Scripture that helps me have a clear understanding of God's picture, God's perspective on that topic? And that's where I hope to take us a little bit deeper than we have on this concept of thanksgiving, not the holiday that was formally instituted, I guess Washington began it, but George Washington began it, but it was formally instituted in the 1940s by Congress uh, and changed back and forth between the last or the third Thursday of, of November, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We would like, from a topical standpoint, to get a grasp of what does the Bible have to say, and it is pervasive. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's everywhere you go. If we just wanted to pull scriptures and read them, we would be here more than an hour on the topic of thanksgiving. So clearly this then is not exhaustive. We're not going to find everything that the Bible has to say about giving thanks and thanksgiving. But what I tried to do was pull some of the more basic, fundamental truths from Scripture in regards to thanksgiving that give us some ways of thinking, some perspective that will guide us. Um, there are four particularly, what I, what I will in just a moment after we pray, what I hope to do is uh, topically take us through thanksgiving with four truths or principles, um, and, and you'll hear those in just a moment. And then lastly, when we compare our life's circumstances against a command, and one of the principles is that we are as believers commanded to give thanks in every circumstance. That's profound. And if that's the case, when I compare that against life circumstances, I don't, it doesn't match sometimes. I don't feel thankful. There's not much in the circumstance, some of them horrendous and, and painful and difficult, don't elicit thanksgiving as a natural outflow. And so the last thing I want to do after the four topics is say, so what do we do then? How, how are we supposed to respond to circumstances that don't bring thankfulness to the surface? When we're given a gift, when we're... Sometimes Thanksgiving is just a real easy natural outflow, but not always, as you and I know so well. So that's where I hope to go. Um, so let's pray, and then I'll have you open to Psalm 100. Our scripture reading was Psalm 100, and we'll begin there. But join me in prayer. Father, you do have very much 
to tell us and to say and to direct and instruct in regards to possessing a heart of giving thanks, a heart of gratitude. Lord, help us to lay just some foundational truths in our mind and in our heart that we would meditate on them and that they would actually become part of what you can use as you sanctify us into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, use it as well in our ability to share with others uh, who don't know you and who have accepted truths that are not biblical, that they would be challenged from what we learned today and what Scripture says to engage the truth about who you are and what you've done and that that might in them produce a bowed heart to you first of who you are and secondly about their own sin. So Lord, use these truths in this the way that thanksgiving is tied to our heart and tied to uh, our flesh and its tendencies to guide us and teach us from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first the first truth that I want to spend time on out of Psalm 100 is that thanksgiving should, and I would say will be a natural response from mankind if it understands these truths. It will be a natural response from all mankind. When we read Psalm 100, which as we clearly saw, is a call to worship the Creator. That's what it is. It's short, pretty simple. Did you notice to whom it was addressed in the beginning? Verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. He didn't say my children, those who belong to me, all the earth. He created them all. I think when Mark Fogel prayed, he prayed that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. All humankind, men, women, children, there's no age limitation, old, young, everyone are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord, serve Him with gladness, come into His presence with singing. But then comes the basis for our adoration and our thanksgiving, which should flow naturally. Look at verse 3. We read it. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It's He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Getting these fundamental axioms correct and right will lay the groundwork for a correct and natural expression of thanksgiving and praise to the Creator. The Lord is God. There's no other. He made us, not we ourselves. We had nothing to do with it. We belong to Him, and we exist within His domain. What do you have that you didn't receive? John the Baptist asked that question. And if you received it, where is boasting? Clearly, if we received all that we have, there is 
no room for boasting. It is completely unfitting, wholly out of the realm. Paul preached these exact truths to the unbelievers in Athens on his missionary journey at that Areopagus. Somebody would have to correct me. Areopagus, something like that. I can't quite say it right. Areopagus, I think, is is correct. So. Is on a hill, basically, is what that means. And Paul preached this to the unbelievers, which were Gentile, obviously, in Athens. Here's what he said in verse 24 of chapter 17. You don't have to turn there right now. The God who made the world and everything that is in it. God made us. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth... He's God. We are beholden to Him. Does, God does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. What do we have that we didn't receive? So these basic truths should of themselves be sufficient to elicit thanksgiving to and worship for our Creator. But the psalmist gives us more. This call to worship in 100 continues. Look at verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. So there's the welcome. Come into His presence. Enter Him with thanksgiving and His court with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Why? Not only is He God and He made you and you belong to Him and you exist in His realm, and you owe him everything, entitlement is excluded. But look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His faithfulness is to all generations. We serve a good God. Yes, he's God. Yes, he made me. Yes, he owns me and deserves my praise and my thanksgiving. But He is also a good God that is merciful and cares, is faithful and can be trusted. You know, it's the denial of those very truths and the doubting of God's character which lies behind them that led Adam and Eve astray in the garden. And it's that same thinking that continues to lead men and women who don't know Him, into an ungodly existence. So if Psalm 100 lays what I'll call the cornerstone, if, if Thanksgiving is a building, Psalm 100 is its chief cornerstone. Those truths of who God is, that He is the Creator, lie at the basis for expressing praise and thanksgiving to Him. The second point is that Thanksgiving is fundamental to salvation. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Several of you have been studying Romans. It's been a while since you've been in chapter 1, most likely. But you know it if you're a student of Scripture as a passage that accurately but very ugly, in an ugly manner, describes a progression of men and women who reject these very truths that we just outlined. 
It begins somewhat unremarkable, this negative downward spiral, but it leads to some very shocking ungodly behavior. Simple, errant thinking. Look down in verse 18 of chapter 1. I'll read through verse 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What truth are they suppressing? Keep reading. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their reasoning, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." This Romans 1 downward spiral is devastating. If you follow it all the way, we're not going to this morning. It leads to eternal death, permanent separation from the Creator God in a tormenting hell. Where did it get its start? Not acknowledging God for who He really is. Not honoring Him because of who He is, and therefore not giving thanks. This truth abandoned leads to futile reasoning. To not honor God as God is to replace His spot in my thinking with something else. And for most of us, you've got to replace it with something, so living and thinking becomes my decision. I am the captain of me, which would be pure idolatry. Sharing the gospel to our lost friends, acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors, relatives should include a call to acknowledge God for who He really is. They know it in their heart. God put it within them that He is a God who is good, is merciful, and faithful as their Creator. He made them, not themselves. Psalm, one, uh, excuse me, Psalm 100 makes then for a great witnessing text. It includes a right view of God, a right view of man, and a natural worshipful relationship that should flow out of believing those truths. Acknowledging God for who He truly is intrinsically includes a bowed heart of thanksgiving. If I'm willing to accept God as creator, that He made me, I live in His domain, I immediately have to fall under His kingship, His lordship, His rule in my life. Which is why the world rejects that. I don't want to be ruled. So right thinking out of Psalm 100 will yield and produce naturally thanksgiving. It's fundamental to salvation. 
And a heart of gratitude, though, is not just for unbelievers, of course. We are commanded as believers, as I said earlier, to give thanks. Open and turn from Romans to 1 Thess 5. We're in it a bit this morning in the Sunday school class. Here is, at the very end, chapter 5 is the last chapter of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And in staccato form almost, in verse 16, 17, and 18, we have some instructions, some guidance, some commands that God gives us through Paul. 16, rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That warrants repeating. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Are you seeking God's will in any area of your life? Start here. Someone shared with me a long time ago, and I'm going to... It's... it's and when I say start here, that's not, I'm not being trite or unsympathetic to what you may be seeking the Lord over in terms of what His will might be. But He is most interested in the posture of our hearts. So this is the truth that was shared with me. Walking in His known will always leads you down the right path. When I don't know what God wants me to do, just make sure you're walking, make sure I'm walking where I know is His will. This is like, am I being thankful for my current state and status and possessions and relationships? Am I, am I at peace with God and thankful for them? If not, I'm out of God's will to begin with. It's hypocritical to be seeking Him for His will in one area, and yet I'm ignoring it over here. But as I said, Thanksgiving, as we know and experience, it is not always is easy. Many of us are keenly aware of many of life's circumstances that do not stir feelings naturally of thankfulness. So we're told to be thankful in all things, and yet we're going through things that don't generate thankfulness. Is God callous to our feelings? Of course not. Then what are we supposed to do? And these are serious things that we face. They're not light. There's folks who are experiencing the loneliest days of their life right now as believers. Maybe they've lost loved ones. There's any number of reasons. You are likely, I've talked to dozens of folks in this body who are burdened regularly, daily, over loved ones who continue to deny the gospel. Seasons of all sorts of disappointment, whether they be medical, whether they be loss of a job, not able to find a job, broken relationships. You fill in the situation. During these times and in these situations, give thanks in all things leaves us wondering how we're supposed to respond. When God asks something of us, He always gives us aid, support, encouragement. He was not going to leave us on our own. Alistair Begg offers the following explanation. 
bear with me. I'm going to read his quote. The answer, the answer for how we can show steady gratitude lies in God's sanctifying work within us. The Holy Spirit resides in you to produce the ongoing cleansing necessary for spiritual growth. It is the work of God that enables us to be what Jesus desires for us to be. Quote, Philippians 2.13, For it is, at God who, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. When we abide in Christ, rooted and built up in Him, studying our scriptures, learning to pray, fellowshipping with God's people, telling others about Him, we're reminded of all that He is for us, all that He has done for us and in us. We learn to sing with the psalmist, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds, Psalm 75, end quote. Whatever our own regrets and disappointments, and although... Our trials may be really tough and gloomy, and we may not feel thankful in every moment. We are able to overflow with thankfulness as we remember His wondrous deeds, the cross, His resurrection, His ascension, His work in us by His Spirit to bring us to faith and to keep us in faith. In those situations, it's only as we will turn our attention away from ourselves and our circumstances at least for a moment, and reflect on God's gift of love for us that we can then follow this command. Psalm 100 lays the foundation. Thanksgiving is fundamental to salvation, and as believers, we're commanded to give thanks. And this one is one of the toughest for me. We are warned repeatedly to resist grumbling, a grumbling spirit. Twice in his letters... To the churches, Paul reflected on the Israelites coming out of Egypt and being in the desert. And we know what they did. They grumbled. They grumbled over water. They grumbled over food. And when they were given food, it, after a little while, I want a different food. And Paul holds it up as an example not to follow because of their grumbling. grumbling. By the way, the root word of that also could be translated murmur, and it fits very well. <laughs> Ungratefulness will thwart your growth spiritually and stain your testimony. Look back at Philippians 2. We read what Alistair Begg, he quoted verse 13, but open to Philippians 2, Alistair used it to say it's God's sanctifying works that strengthens us to be able to be thankful in situations that are not easy to be thankful in. But I want to read, I'm going to read 12 down to 15. And what I said is that ungratefulness will thwart our spiritual growth and stain our testimony. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2 begins, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you, both to desire and to work for His good pleasure. There's the source of our obedience, verse 12 and 13. 
Then we get to 14. Do all things. Here's another all things. Do all things without complaining or arguments. ESV is grumbling and disputes. 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. The command is clear. Do all things without grumbling and complaining, or grumbling and murmuring, or, or grumbling and disputing. And we'll talk about uh, some interesting choice of words that Paul uses. Complaining, grumbling, murmuring, it's often under our breath, sometimes not even voiced. But it seeps out, it shows itself, maybe it's an expression on a face. These things surface from an ungodly predisposition, a mind and heart controlled by the flesh. So I'm going to share a personal example of my grumbling. Everybody perked up. So I had developed several years ago a bad habit. I'm sure this is unique to me. Certain situations would arise and uh, to my displeasure, and I was ungrateful in my heart about it. I actually had a discontented spirit if I analyzed it, but I, I wasn't aware of that. And gradually made its way to the surface. You know, we have a pretty, we're pretty good in most situations of hiding our sin, right? We can cover up those attitudes that we don't want somebody to see. But when it comes down to often being at home, our guard is down. We're around those that we live most closely to and with. It seems to seep out. Do you remember when Jesus uh, was being challenged about eating stuff and saying, hey, that's off limits. You can't do these. He says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Remember that? But what comes out? He said, those things proceed from the heart. That's what defiles a man. That's my example. What was coming out was from my heart. It was ugly, but it didn't look that ugly to the average person. And Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. This is a respectable sin. We can complain about certain things. I can complain about the weather, about politics, about my job, my boss, and get away with it, acceptable in the world, totally acceptable. Nobody's, nobody's going to call me out on that. Well, something would happen uh, that was uh, not as I would have orchestrated it. Maybe a slight change in plans, an unexpected outcome, failure for something that didn't work out like I had hoped or expected or wanted. It usually meant an inconvenience on me. That was really the root. I was being inconvenienced. And so my response was to go, <clears throat> that's it. Didn't, sometimes didn't involve other people. It was something I was working on. <clears throat> Displeased. <clears throat> Frustrated. <clears throat> that's an interruption to my plans. <clears throat> If it became words, if I can't get this done right, <clears throat> I'm annoyed, I'm ungrateful. 
And I just think I need to express it. So, <clears throat> you know, we just read Psalm uh, Philippians 2, 15, says that at the end of this verse about not complaining, we should appear as lights in the world. I was snuffing out my light. My uh, faithful, loving partner in love for me had the willingness and wherewithal to challenge me on <clears throat> and say, where is that coming from? And it didn't take a rocket science to dig to see that it came from me. That's my heart going, <clears throat> I am expressing displeasure ultimately with God's plan, right? Is he not in control of all things? Is there anything that I have that I didn't receive from him? Where is, oh, then? It doesn't belong. Again, if you haven't read it, Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins helps point to a lot of those, so plan on heavy conviction if you go there. We really need one another here. Not just at home, but yes, at home. But we need to help one another root out these attitudes, bringing them under control of the Spirit, which we will talk about in just a minute as we wrap up. But let's, if, if you're still in Philippians 2, if you're not, turn back there, because there's two truths that come out of this verse I don't want to skip over. Verse 15, they're both there. The first one is that responding rightly and yielding control to Him, being grateful, for instance, in the situations instead of grumbling, will lead to what, according to verse 15? Blameless, innocent, above reproach. Who is that describing? Who are you becoming like? That's Jesus Christ, blameless, innocent above reproach, and you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So to choose against grumbling and to choose a grateful attitude is to willingly co cooperate with what the Spirit's doing within you anyway. Secondly, if I yield to God's control, I will be different. I will stand out. I will shine like a bright light in the world bringing opportunities likely to explain where is that coming from instead of oomph. My responses in life's circumstances affect my witness and my testimony. I don't want to admit it, but how I respond in life will affect my witness and my testimony. You can't hide it. We can and must choose to give thanks. It's not an option. We must nurture within ourselves a mindset of thankfulness. We are commanded to. It's God's plan if you belong to Him. So how do we prepare ourselves to respond when circumstances and situations um, don't call or don't lead us naturally to a God-honoring response? Jesus is our example. Last week we, or maybe two weeks ago, we enjoyed the Lord's Supper together. 
And so we reflected back on the upper room. So think with me again, because we say it every time we have the Lord's Supper. Jesus was with his disciples, having his last meal on earth with them. And we know it, it, that the commemoration of the Lord's Supper was initiated there. This is the night that he was being handed over and would suffer ultimately to death at the hands of sinners. We know from the prayer a few hours later that it was extremely heavy on his mind and on his heart. We seem, I, I do at times, seem to apply his deity here and say, oh, well, he didn't feel what I would have felt. Not true. I don't believe that. Um, and yet, here he was in the room with his disciples, and what do we say? In the middle of the supper, he took bread and gave thanks. That's what he did. Have you ever thought, what did he have to give thanks for? In that situation, what was he giving thanks for? I would love, I haven't, I have no insight into this other than what the writer of Hebrews tells us. What an example, though, on that evening. Here's what, here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews, and you know the passage, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was not focused on his circumstances. He was focused on the joy that the plan of God was set before him. It's in looking to him and his promises that we can endure with a commitment to give thanks. It will not happen without dying to self. I mentioned the bad habit I had begun. It was really... And, and this has been very helpful. I read a booklet decades ago uh, by a guy named George Sanchez. It's still out there. It's hard to get your hands on them. It's called Changing Your Thought Patterns. And God renews our spirit, gives us all sorts of wonderful abilities to walk through this life pleasing to Him, everything we need for life and godliness. But our flesh is still tagging along. Thought patterns are a lot like rain falling on a hill. So it rains down on a hill. The water begins to follow grooves or ruts or troughs naturally, and it'll flow through those troughs and make it down the hill, cutting deeper as it goes. The next rainfall will find those exact same troughs. They won't cut new ones, and they'll make it deeper so too our thought patterns follow habitual routes. A discontented heart that has been taught to complain possesses a mindset that will more naturally and quickly flow into grumbling and complaining. My, my example was proof of that, although you don't need it. So how do we change that? Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't think like the world. Don't act like the world. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. 
Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lo lovely, anything that's commendable, anything that's excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, do what? Think on these things. There's a, there's a lot within our realm we don't control in our battle against sin and the flesh to please God. The world and its influences I can't impact. The devil, his demons, his plans and actions to try to thwart God. God's plans I can't do much about. Nor can I in this life eliminate my flesh and its inordinate desires. However, we can control our thinking. God would not tell us, no, He wouldn't command us to think a certain way if we could not do it through His strength and resources. In Psalm 103, He exhorts us, forget none of His benefits. Have you ever, I said none. How often do you recite God's benefits? Terry and I have begun, uh, a ha uh, we want to make a habit, we've done it a few times, where we've caught that one or the other, and we even share it, that one of us just has a cloud of discouragement. There's something, it's just, it's just a discontent maybe, a little bit of a discouraged attitude, and it's trying to take control. And so we, we agree, maybe we're driving or whatever, that we'll begin taking turns naming the things that God has done for us. What do we have from God? And it can be, over the years, it's been a number of things. Maybe it's ways He's led us that we didn't see a way out. Maybe it's a job when we didn't have money to buy food provision when we didn't see where it was going to come from, all of the gifts from above that God has showered us with, including each other. That exercise seldom ends without recognizing what we've named earlier and what we sang about, His eternal promises that we've been given as His children. The fiery darts of temptation to think ungratefully and in discontent are quickly extinguished with the recollection of who God is and what He has done, if we'll just spend the time to focus on it. As we wrap up, turn to Psalm 1. I want to look in this idea of thinking differently and being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Psalm 1 is one of the most popular, not only being the first, it's the blessed man, right? Blessed is the man who, and then, it, and then the psalmist jumps into it. We're going to just look at the first couple of verses in that. Now, what, this, what these verses are speaking to are the influences in a person's life and thinking. The passage considers the contributions that form and sway a person's thinking and ultimately their walk or their behavior describing a man or woman, uh, a boy or girl that is blessed in God's economy. And first we have in verse 1, the influences and contributions to our thinking that we should reject. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We should reject their thinking and counsel, their plans and actions. The counsel of the ungodly and the worldly way of thinking should not be our primary influence for thinking and making decisions. The accepted influence of bad company will corrupt good character. You can't avoid it. I said the accepted influence of bad company will corrupt good character. I said don't hang out with anybody ever bad. I said the accepted influence of bad company will corrupt good character. Next in verse next is the right influence and its intensity. But his delight, whose delight? The blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God and his word are his counsel and his friend. You know, instead of letting fear, this is not the first time you hear about meditating day and night. God's advice to Joshua before he led the people into the promised land is he was fearful, at least tempted to be fearful, and dismayed, God directed him to meditate on the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do it according to all that's written in it. Then I'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. That was his promise to Joshua. Listen to the commitment of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on Him, or on your ways. We must be committed to fixing our eyes on Him. By the way, are you aware that grumbling and complaining and thankfulness cannot coexist? They can't reside in the same dwelling. One will overpower the other and push it out. Our commitment then should be to choose meditating on God's Word, giving thanks, and pushing out this vagrant old self-thinking and choose to allow God by His Spirit to renew our minds according to His thinking, which we get from Scripture. Let's pray. Father, there is so much that you have to say about who you are and our relationship with you and how we ought to approach you. And you welcome us to come, but we come bowed knowing who you are, knowing what you have done. And we praise you that you are a good God, a merciful God and a faithful God, what you have said you will accomplish, and we can stand on your promises. Lord, as we enter this week of thanksgiving, let us commit ourselves to, to allowing you to root out areas we're not thankful, where we are ungrateful or complaining. Because we desire to be Christ-like and cooperate with what you want to do in us by your power and your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand as we sing together.